0: Podcast ain't played nobody. Uh, Bill, you, you're very, you were very angry two or three weeks ago when we had the first flurry of coaching fires. Are you okay with it being the start of firing season now? It's spooky time, as my two-year-old says. It's Halloween time. So um, <laughs> I know that firing season is supposed to start about a week before Thanksgiving. But much like the – oh, by the way, the first, the first Christmas commercial I saw on television was for rena Center. Which makes a lot of sense because you got to put down a lot of payments and stuff. But um, if firing season has to start, I would rather it be in October than
1: September, right? That's progress. (laughs) I guess that counts as progress. My wife, by the way, went to uh, some fabric place yesterday. She's making a bunch of Rice Krispie Treats uh, with with special Halloween decorations on them for uh, the five-year-old's class for next Monday. Um, She said the Halloween stuff is mostly gone, Thanksgiving is on clearance, and Christmas is everywhere. So that's awesome. So this is, I guess, Christmas mirrors coaching season in that it just starts stupid early uh, and drowns out other fun stuff that uh, we could be doing instead.
0: Two things that, we, that actually really, really pushed stupid season up this season um, we're, we're going to talk about in this show. Um, one would be the University of Southern California Trojans because they have basically a ex-interim, possibly still interim, in the eyes of a new AD head coach, and then um,
1: Texas member Texas
0: bill member Texas Well, I mean, the
1: biggest thing was LSU obviously, but um
0: well, no no, no, but the LSU is an isolated thing and I, and having written about that now, I think LSU was a I don't know if I would call it smart let's not let's not necessarily put a judgment call in front of it, but LSU was one hundred percent a function of firing season last year there was a there was a last minute reprieve from the governor basically um, literally. And the Les Miles coup was thwarted after that Texas A&M game. The administration moved so much faster this time because they didn't want Les to magically win five games in a row and beat Alabama, although I don't think they were in any danger of doing that when he got fired. um, They kind of had to step out what they started uh, or stomp out what they started back in November. So... That wasn't necessarily a function at the time that we thought of, oh my god, these coaches are getting fired so early. That really was an extension of a weird situation that started in the proper time last year, which was going into the final week of the season, which that I'm fine with. You can't avoid
1: that. But it still meant that we were talking about all this stuff and then the domino effects and USC and Texas and yada yada like in week four. The bleed Uh, started with Tom Herman
0: because LSU um, is, you know, neighbors with Texas and LSU could potentially be interested in Tom Herman. I mean, if you talk to LSU fans and boosters, really the week or two after Les got fired, people weren't talking about Tom Herman. That was a function of the media. That was a function of people online making some pretty big and bold assumptions um that potentially it looked like for a while it was going to set on, set off an internet brush fire because we had usc that was struggling as well a place that turn herman might fit because he's a versatile candidate and then we have texas so about texas um, I uh, it's hard to qualify or quantify what's going on with Texas in terms of Baylor I don't want to talk about Charlie Strong for a second I want to talk about Baylor which is a joke that we've had going on this show now for a while that we don't talk about Baylor um, Baylor is good at the football you can cut the head off of certain animals and they will run around for a while before the corpse finally gives out um, essentially without Art Bryles you are seeing that at Baylor this year um, we've had a I think the, the core group of our audience is, is maybe of a similar mindset of kind of how we feel about Baylor and that it's a very frustrating topic. It's, it's hard to parse. It's hard to assign blame. It's, you know I've only had a couple of people with hands on hips sort of infuriatingly say, well, what about these young men who have worked so hard? I recognize that the young men have worked so hard. I recognize that the overwhelming majority of players had nothing to do with any of the stuff that went on. However, the way that the people, the the adults, the grown ups handled the various situations at Baylor kind of ruined things for the kids who were good and honest and worked hard. Um, That's bad adulting. That's not necessarily good uh, student athleteism. I'm making up a lot of words today. Um, It's very early, by the way. Texas hates Baylor in a way. They and here's I I know that they hate Baylor more than they hate anyone else in college football right now, including A and M, including Oklahoma. Because they so vehemently deny it, and they they couch their anger around moral, you know, morality based qualms or, or finger wagging or whatever. But long before the sexual assault scandal came to light, they still absolutely freaking lutely were disgusted by what was going on with our prowls in Baylor because it is an offense to them. Waco sits in their footprint, Waco's a doormat. Um, when Waco started taking recruits away from Texas, it was just, you know, it couldn't stand. It was unimaginable. So this weekend, Charlie Strong has his, and I wrote this in a column that'll be up by the time you guys hear this. This is his Waterloo. This is his Judgment Day. This is whatever. I know he beat this team last year. It doesn't matter. He's three and four. He's fourteen and eighteen, I believe. Bill at Texas. Uh, this is it. It's incredibly stupid in fact here I'm going to pause for a second and and you can analytically tell people objectively why it's stupid to ever put a referendum on a single game
1: because because it is I don't even know what to say I feel like I've probably said it before but uh no you 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 make firing decisions based on your vision of the future and based on whether you think the person in charge can accomplish your goals and one game doesn't tell you jack um, but it, we we always use one, the a specific game or we frequently use a specific game as like the last draw kind of thing. He can save his job with this blah blah blah. No, you you it's it's a long term decision and you don't make it because of one Saturday. Uh, in this case, I mean it, it would be a last draw situation. It's not like they're six and two and they're or five and two and they're gonna fire him for losing to Baylor. They're, you know this would be more of a last draw situation, but it's still still just annoying. There's definitely some context here. I want
0: to I, I want to be clear. Charlie Strong is three and four. That's why this is the, this must-win game. If they were undefeated and lost to Baylor, obviously the referendum would not be the same. People would still be very very angry because of the, the the contempt for Baylor in Texas circles. But Charlie brought himself here. Charlie has some real problems that are completely apropos of how weird and disorganized Texas fans are. Um, i would try to think, I mean, off the top of my head, I think the fierce loyalty to assistance has cost him dearly. Um, I think you're seeing that now because he fought a very public battle on what to do on offense last year. And that was really the framework in which we looked at the 2016 Texas team coming into this fall was that they finally got a new offensive coordinator it was a little bit more texas comes off the Bryles tree. And then the defense – falls back apart. Uh, I was bugging Bill for some numbers this week. It's not quite that simple. There is an age issue here. The defense will be better next year by virtue of the fact that they will return a lot of a lot of guys. Um, and then also, I've had this working theory, and I've been testing it against Bill. I didn't write about this in the column necessarily because I just wanted to keep it in the framework of sort of the – you know really my expertise stupid people with money that's kind of where i get my my bread buttered at sb nation is talking to crazy weird people that make decisions uh oftentimes for very dumb reasons big 12 defense the standard is is floaty it's a little strange although if we go back bill i don't if you want to pull the numbers up i'll van for a second the conversation you and i had i asked bill to pull basically the best defenses what what is the standard for the best defense in the big 12 for the last couple years and so bill pulled me um the top ranked big 12 defenses per defensive s&p plus from 2012 to 2015 so that's what three seasons plus and that doesn't include i don't think you included this
1: season right four seasons and then yeah this season i I didn't include this season but it doesn't matter because they don't really have any good defenses this yeah
0: that's four seasons sorry i'm good at math
1: um of
0: those four seasons, 2012, 13, 14, 15, the number one S&P, defense, F- uh, S&P plus defense was 2014 Texas. That was, yep. that was a little surprising. Is, yeah. that, is, that, is that cause for Texas fans to say, well, he's, he, you know, they're declining, he can't coach, he hasn't developed? No. But I did find that very interesting. Number By the way, the second best one was 2013 Oklahoma State. Yep. refresh my memory because my, my expectation immediately was, well, TCU is going to dominate this. Now the next two are 2013 and 14 TCU,
1: which is what I expected.
0: Uh, and then you have some Oklahoma and some K-State.
1: Uh, 2013 OSU, I believe, was the team that had like six seniors uh, in the defensive backfield and, and a good pass rush. And they just, uh, they were basically the the most perfectly built big 12 style defense you could have Um they're super physical on the on the outside. I still remember that that Cotton Bowl against Missouri. Um, they 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 did the Seattle Seahawks clutch and grab and dare the refs to call pass interference on every play because you know they won't kind of thing. Um, but it was very very effective, no question about that. Yeah, no. So um, I just pulled up basically all, like going back to 05, like the best Big Twelve defenses, and it's funny because um, I'd forgotten about this entirely. 2009. Uh, overall, defensive S&P Plus, Nebraska was number one, Texas was number three, and Oklahoma was number four. That was still kind of in the spread boom, uh, but those three defenses all figured things out and, and played at a very, very high level. You've got, uh, let's see, 2010 Oklahoma was number seven overall uh but yeah you've got it, it's with texas it's been really interesting they i think part of their problem and, and this isn't i'm not talking about a specific coach here part of the problem is that they really haven't had balanced classes so in in 09 i believe that was manny diaz's first year as defensive coordinator in 09 they ranked third uh, in defensive s plus adjusted points per game averages 10.7 per game very 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 good um, next year, I believe that would, so 2010, I believe that would have been, um, the year everything kind of fell apart on them. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm off. Duh, I'm off. Oh, was the national title year. Um, so let me just start the spiel over. Oh, nine. Okay. That was really good. But 2011 was the Manny Diaz year and they ranked seventh. Uh, 2012 and 13, uh, I believe Jordan Hicks got hurt. Uh, it was very, very inexperienced in 2012, still pretty inexperienced in 2013 when Diaz got fired like two games into the season. So then Charlie Strong comes to town and in 2014, they rank seventh again. Um, and that was a very senior as, as I was pulling for you, that was a very senior heavy lineup that year. Um, and then all freshmen and sophomores, they bomb in 2015, all sophomores, basically this year, they bomb in 2016. And I think your, your message to me, by the way, you
0: said Texas is leading tacklers, sophomore, 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 junior, junior, sophomore, senior, sophomore, freshman, sophomore, 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 sophomore,
1: right. Um, and, and, and it was basically the direct opposite of that in, um, in 2014, So, I mean, it's, it really, you can make a very, very clear case that you should never, whatever they are, 90th or whatever currently in, D, in 2016, you should never, with, with, with the talent you can recruit in Texas, you should never rank that low. That's a pretty, I mean, that's a pretty stirring case. It's hard to say they should be this bad even with youth. But there's still a correlation where, you know, when Charlie Strong has the experience he needs, he coaches very good defense, and, and you know it was the same kind of deal at Louisville. His first couple of years, they I think they ranked in the 40s or the 50s maybe uh, in defense, but that, that breakthrough year in uh, 2013, uh, they were like 11th, uh, and that was with the top 25 recruiting classes, not top 5 or 10. So it does seem like this is a style where you've got to have uh, leaders, strong leadership at all times. They haven't had any for a couple of years, and that's just weird to me because it has happened for – like basically two full cycles now. Super experienced in tw- uh, in twenty eleven, not at all in twenty twelve thirteen. Super experienced in fourteen, not at all in fifteen and sixteen. Uh, good defenses, or good coaches, um, and with that recruit really well. They figure out a way around that, and and Texas absolutely needs good leadership, and they don't have it right now.
0: Um, this is a. Uh... By the way, uh, just, just for context here, and I don't want to talk too much about West Virginia, but the current Big 12 defenses this year, by the way, and this is, <clears throat> based on these numbers you, you provided me, I assume this is the national s and Yeah, it has to be. Um, number 13 is Baylor. Number 33 is West Virginia. Number 45 is Kansas State. Number 63 is TCU. And number 81 is Oklahoma State. Um,
1: yeah, Oklahoma State, the number 81 defense fifth in the Big 12 this year this is the stereo this is the year the stereotype came true we they, everybody always you know Big 12 don't play defense because of tempo because of uh, the style of offense because of the number of possessions they always give up yards and points but if you adjust for those things and you adjust for the quality of opponent you can see that the Big 12 does typically have some pretty good defenses at least a few good defenses this year they've got one good defense and that's Baylor. and, and it is opponent-adjusted, but Baylor's schedule has been so cupcake-heavy that we might get a little bit of a course correction now that they start playing uh, better offenses. But you know, after that, I mean, they've got two teams, two defenses even in the top forty, and that's crazy. I asked you this, and I know people. I mean, my first reaction when I
0: saw Baylor was what I think most people's reaction will be, which is is that a, is that a function of constantly being up on teams? being up 21 nothing on teams so fast that they are adjusting their offense and therefore your defensive stats look better. I know you account for junk time, but is Baylor so far outside of the curve that it affects that?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing, <clears throat> Baylor has been pretty bad offensively in the first quarter this year, and they've, they've kind of dilly-dallied a little bit. And so I don't really think that necessarily applies this year. I mean, it, you can there, there have been a couple of games, sure, Um, I mean, Kansas was overwhelmed from the, from the, from the jump, but, um, I think the biggest thing, uh... I just I need to see Baylor playing a couple more good offenses. Oklahoma State's offense is pretty good, yeah. and I mean they held Oklahoma State to 24 points. So I mean maybe that's a sign. You know what is Oklahoma State on offense here? They are 22nd on offense, and Baylor held them to 24 points. So maybe maybe this is a really good offense. But if they hold Texas to 24, Texas for all the problems this year has fixed their offense. Even with a true freshman quarterback, they've got a very good offense this year. Um, TCU uh, could be problematic. Oklahoma, it has the maybe the only offense in the country that could that could threaten uh, to be better than Lamar Jackson in Louisville. Uh, you hold, uh, you go to Texas and Oklahoma, and you hold them to respectable point totals, like not not fifties, basically. And then you know that'll be kind of proof, I think, that Baylor really does have the defense thing uh, working this year. West
0: Virginia's is good, by the way. They're solid. I don't, want to get, I don't want to get too off topic, but I, um, j- just real, it's not really a mea culpa for me, but I would say as the, as the greater collective, and I won't put Bill in this, j- just us BS and football scribes, um, nobody saw that coming, and everybody was talking about where Dana Holgerson would land when he finally got
1: fired. So
0: i to um, point that out before the, the back
1: end of the season
0: that, that we were
1: real wrong about that one. And by the way, their defense it ranks 33rd, but the last three weeks they have been spectacular uh, on defense. So if that's, if that's their new level, since they have kind of sustained it for three weeks, given up 16 to Kansas State, 17 to Texas Tech, 10 to TCU, if that's the level they're going to play from here on out, they're going to be in the top 20 very quickly in that defensive rating.
0: It's – I'll pull it up real fast, but it was somewhat of a front-loaded schedule. But anytime time you keep TCU – or TCU – any time you keep Texas Tech to that, to, to 16 points yeah. – or 17 points, I'm sorry, um, at Lubbock, then, yeah. I mean, narrative is going to build pretty fast. By the yeah. way, not too – well, yeah, I guess it's kind of back-loaded. When you got Oklahoma and Baylor left to play um, and they haven't played Oklahoma State, but they did beat TCU. I mean, they – They, they whipped TCU. There's, yeah. there's realness here there there's legitimacy here. And by the way, West Virginia is also one of those BYU teams. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to make another left turn before I start talking about Charlie strong again, but like, they're another one of those BYU. I mean, we're really going to pour over this BYU schedule in the off season. <laughs> yeah. Get excited, everybody. Um, I mean, it's just, it is fascinating. Um, okay. Uh, so yeah, it's I'm not, I'm not going to read the whole column or anything. It's not even up yet. So it's hard for bill to, to play off of it, but, um, it's very possible. Uh, what I did was I went back to the interview that I had with Strong in the, in the preseason. And, by the way, there's always, an, there's always a, uh, a game on Labor Day weekend that we tout and we talk about We get are really excited about because it, it's a manufactured ma- matchup, usually on a neutral site. And it, about this time in the season, we look back and we think, man, that was actually pretty assy. Um, so last year it was Auburn and Louisville, right? That was going to be a big game. <laughs> it was gonna, The Chick-fil-A kickoff classic, that game was ass. It was actually ass. It didn't, it didn't matter. Really more so well I mean though no, Louisville had a lot of problems last year too, but definitely Auburn this year it was it was Texas and Notre Dame we just didn't know it I mean I know Houston has two losses and Oklahoma has a couple but like I'm, I'm telling you it was it was Texas and Notre Dame and Austin, which really sucks to say Bill because it was a game that was wasn't played at neutral sites it was played in you know awesome crowds and home stadiums on campus two I mean, brands with a big-ass B, you know, there's, it was, they were great. It was exactly what you want college football to be. The game was so fun to watch. Um, and then, you know, what happened, happened. So that was the game. We, we probably put way too much into that game. I, I probably framed some of my questions to Charlie too much around that game. If you go back and read the story, it feels like that to me. But what struck me in reading this and what, what I wrote uh, for today's column is, I think maybe Charlie and Texas are just fundamentally incompatible without (laughs) passing judgment on one or the other. Because the next thing that follows when somebody says something about, well, this isn't going to work with Charlie and Texas is Charlie can't coach in the big time or Texas is just too crazy. Um, Texas is crazy. They are totally. But so is Alabama. So is USC. It's a different kind of crazy um, so is florida i mean there's there 's a ton of crazy programs that's that 's a natural healthy byproduct i mean that 's like algae in the sea um, that 's going to happen when you have when you when you get into the billion dollar sphere of major college programs um, if you don 't have crazy around your program it 's a sign of apathy and is Charlie not a big time head coach I, th- I think that 's absolutely insane, but I do think that Charlie has done himself no favors because the the example I gave was that basically when Mac Brown would lose Bill, you remember this. you have ties to Oklahoma. Mac Brown came in, he won twenty seven games in his first three years at Texas. He was building something there, absolutely, and he was doing everything right by a Texas standard and really kind of modernizing some of those Texas standards on how you politic and how you how you operate nationally and how you engender all the different pockets of support around the the, the ut culture. And then he got his ass kicked by Bob Stoops for like years. How many years in a row was it, Bill? Five, six?
1: Um, I think I want to say five. It was like a 2004 yeah. or something, and then Texas finally turned the tables in '05.
0: Right. Uh, uh, the, all, the The most distinct memory I'll have of that is Chris Sims and Roy Williams. I mean, it was yeah. like it, it was such a dominant and yet such an important game. And so, I think such it was lopsided.
1: I think what made it even more frustrating for Texas was it was every different kind of loss too it was you know there was yeah. a sixty five to thirteen and there was a thirteen to like what thirteen to nothing or thirteen or thirteen to twelve twelve nothing was yeah one yeah year. that's what I'm thinking that was up. the vince that was Vince Young that was kind of his uh, that's why I put that uh, 04 Texas team in my 50 best book was because that was such a fast like mid-October Texas had been shut out by Oklahoma and then he threw two bad picks against Missouri and got benched um, and then like 18 games later he was the best college football quarterback of all time or something like that and so um but I mean, yeah, that was a really weird period. But that was also a case where, you know, you can kind of tell how well a guy's doing by what fans are complaining about and can't win the big game is uh, pretty high up on the list. That means you're doing really well um, because that means you're playing in a lot of big games and therefore losing some. Um, <clears throat> this is obviously, obviously he was doing a better job then than Charlie Strong is doing now. But by, I, we've talked about this before. Obviously this is one of our, our pet topics, I guess. And, and I, I, I still hold to, like, all the things that Charlie uh, is doing might be doing wrong in Austin right now. Part of that is the whole, you know, keep it in the building thing that you've mentioned before. Um, You can't do that in Texas. Texas is a very specific—Texas has its own network. Uh, Nothing stays in the building. And so if that was going – and so, like, when, when he got hired, I know a lot of people brought up, like, well, but how is he, – he's kind of a little bit insular. How is that going to work? And, like, that, that might maybe could work at Tuscaloosa, honestly. Um, but it's not going to work when you've got a Longhorn Network and media obligations uh, list that is longer than anyone else's. And so I, just, it,
0: it is, I keep coming back to this. It's not a cliché. It's not It's not necessarily hardcore insight because, Bill, you and I can sit here and talk about the numbers and, and what he's done right and what he's done wrong. And I think even right now, and you tell me if, we're, if I'm wrong speaking for you, I think we would sur- 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 surmise that this is still a, a, a work in progress. Right. This is still a project in you know, and, and maybe that progress, maybe that progress bar is somewhere around seventy-five, eighty percent. and There are some serious concerns about the defense, but this is still a team. I feel like that you judge in twenty seventeen. Now I, I'm not, I'm not I stupid. Mean, expected, things, things like that don't happen.
1: No, and I expected, I expected them to be further along. I'm not going to try to convince anybody that like he's doing a spectacular job, and you guys are all idiots. So like, there's, there's not, he's not doing as well as I expected him to do. But no, when you think about the culture change that had to take place to go from Mac Brown to Charlie Strong, um, you know, I, I talked about Texas struggling with with uneven classes and whatnot. But of course, it was going to happen once. Of course, it was he was going to run off half the team at the very start and try to bring his own guys in. Um, basically, I think the biggest problem for me is that it, this feels like a year two, um, and it's year three, and now we're saying wait till year four. Um, and when you get paid that much in a job with that much pressure, that's really hard to pull off. I, I think it's weird talking about insanity. Like of course, Texas is insane. Everybody is insane. Uh, and so I, I, find myself complaining about it and accepting it at the same time, but no, I mean, if you hired, hired Charlie strong, you're going to get a guy who doesn't do amazingly well in front of the cameras. And you're going to ask him to go in front of every, like a ton of cameras.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, all the and, time too. That's the other thing. All the time.
1: Yeah, and you're gonna ask him to take over a quote unquote culture that is exactly the opposite of what he wants to try to build. And so of course that was gonna take time. I do think his, his I mean, his own and, and Charlie's opposite. not Charlie's not bad at the camera. He's just not what Texas probably wants. Right, and he doesn't like it. He's never I mean that's been the biggest thing is he doesn't want to waste his time with any of that crap. Mac Brown lived for that stuff. Charlie is actually very, very funny and very, very smart. He's, It's
0: not because he's shy. It's just because he's focused elsewhere, and that's really it. The, it there is certainly a cultural shift. I really don't – I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't think Charlie being a black head coach in a prominent position matters a whole hell of a lot in terms of the, the – the, the finality of this, the, the judge, you know, yeah. when they when they look at him on the whole, I don't think that's an issue. I really don't. As many problems as Texas might have, um, but it's it, this just may be. And this is try. This is kind of what I tried to get at at the column. We'll we'll jump out here in a second. Also, the reason why I wanted to talk about this this week is. I really, really don't want anyone to sleep on how much Texas has put stock into Baylor. And because they're three and four this week, I feel like I'm not saying the hammer falls after this game. But I am saying that this is this is probably the referendum that people have talked about and assumed wrongly. I think that this weekend is it because there's also potential here in, in the dynamic of the way things are going that if if Baylor puts up 77 or something like that. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's it. That's it. I, I, I don't
1: think they will. But, yeah,
0: I mean, it's. I don't think they're going to put I – don't, I don't think he's going to – I would be shocked if they, if, they, if they got that ugly with it. But, you know, stranger things have happened. Um, yeah, so the other thing I wrote about this week, Bill, I don't know. I, I mean, normally we're just constantly just referring back to all the preview work that you do because, I in mean, you know, just interminably lazy and always on the road. I am always on the road right now, but shout out to this tasty mud water coffee I'm drinking right now at Hampton Inn. Uh, so Tim DeRuiter got fired. Yeah. It Really, no one cared. <laughs> like, it wasn't broken first by anybody that I know of. I'm pretty sure that the firing came out the way firings are intended to come out, which is, like, through the school itself, he's been let like, go, oh, that's it.
1: Yeah, it was basically um, they, were, they had an announcement about Fresno State's future, and then a couple reporters called in and said, yeah, okay, yeah, he's fired. It was very, very matter-of-fact.
0: Um, I, I, by the way, I, as a reporter, I can tell you that it had been talked about for about a month. And in the offseason, when you kind of sit and gossip and gab with, with other coaches and assistants, that was a job where they're like, yeah, I think Fresno is going to open up this year. Yeah, um, I, I was kind so of like, surprised. No, not, not shocking. It, uh, you said you were shocked?
1: No, I said I, I was I was surprised that it was not open last year, actually. I mean, it had to have been – for me, it kind of had to have been a money thing because uh, they collapsed. And they had no, – I mean, you look at the, the roster heading into this year, there was no way – I think it was a lot of youth. There was just no way they were going to rebound this year. And so uh, I was a little bit surprised that he still was was employed at the beginning of the season. Uh, but the way this is all played out is not even slightly surprising,
0: so he was three and nine last year. He was like one and six or one and seven or whatever this year um, I really don't want to care to talk about that. It was nothing really of interest there that obviously things had fallen apart under him, and that Fresno has a standard that they want to maintain as an elite group of five team. So you see these lists come out, and I get questions about this every year how do How do these lists form? How is it that when people like people in the media that you trust or people in the media that you may not trust or people that are more personality than reporter when they put out, okay, Tim DeRuiter's been fired. Here are the names to look at at, at Fresno because you're about to see a lot of this in the next three weeks. <laughs> Texas. Um, how this works is, is varied, and I broke all this out in the column, so please read it, but I, I'm not going to sit here and recite the column to you, but basically it's, it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, Lane Kiffin was the first name that everybody mentioned. Because if you didn't know this, Lane Kiffin is actually not an alumnus of USC. He's an alumnus of Fresno State where he played quarterback. Um, He's the offensive coordinator to – I mean, in a bubble, regardless of that, Lane Kiffin is going to be rumored for a lot of jobs. He's the offensive coordinator to a really good football team right now. Um, He's won a national title as an offensive coordinator. He has successfully erased almost every question that an athletic director might have about his ability to head coach after being fired on the tarmac from USC, one of the best jobs in college football. Actually, I'm just going to stop there. I've distracted myself now and pause and realize that he has scrubbed himself completely clean. He has actually become
1: liked. Like that—that's this. People that's make probably, positive memes about him. I know the—that's the funniest part about all of this to me is that uh, you know no, he was universally loathed. He goes to Alabama and comes out one of the more likable coaches in the country. That was not something anybody really anticipated and and um it really was kind of like he served his penance I, I think you know one of the things that frustrated me about Will Muschamp getting hired at South Carolina was that he hadn't you know served his time yet he hadn't done his little rebound gig yet he went to Auburn for one year didn't do very well and then got a new head coaching job anyway and that was really annoying to me Um, there's like a process here, I guess, like, uh, you know, Bobby Petrino, Louisville hiring Bobby Petrino annoyed the crap out of me. Western Kentucky hiring Bobby Petrino for rehab stint uh, intrigued me greatly. And so a lot of this is on me, but, um, but no, Kiffin, I I think he just, he, he did the exact right thing. He uh, allowed himself to be filmed, getting yelled at by Nick Saban constantly. And everybody started to enjoy it. And now he has his own little internet memes that are, are happy and positive and fun. Uh, and now he's going to be one of the things that kind of um, is entertaining to me right now is nobody actually knows what level of job he might get because I think I've seen that a lot this week. So Kiffin to Fresno is he is that where he's is that the level he's going to get? Is he going to get something bigger? Nobody has any idea. One of the I will say though that, that no, go ahead, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, um, I will say that Fresno Fresno would be a very very good job for him because I think what I I still believe like. Certain certain coaches need a talent advantage. Like some some coaches are are really tricky with schemes and be able to being able to create mismatches, and others just are, are really, really, really good at taking advantage of natural mismatches, I guess. And so I don't think Kiffin is, uh, you know, he's not proven himself to be some like on style innovator, but he's able to absorb trends and then say, hey, look at all these superior players. Here's what we're going to do to get them the ball in spaces where they can succeed. And they're doing it really, really well this year. He probably got a little too much credit last year because their offense really, until the very end of the season, wasn't actually as good as it should have been. Uh, this year, it's awesome with a with a true freshman quarterback. It's awesome. He has he has uh, just uh, done a great accounting for himself. But I do think he needs that talent advantage, and at Fresno State, he can get it. He'd be in the Mountain West West Division uh, recruiting in California. He would absolutely be able to produce the most talented team in the MWC West and therefore would do very, very well, Um, and I think that would be the best thing for him because, I mean, like, you know, what Maryland. He was rumored rumored for Maryland last year. That's not what he needs, at least not yet. Uh, But I think he could go and create some massive talent advantages at Fresno because he is a hell of a recruiter, Um, and that would kind of set the table for him getting a a really big job, I think, after that.
0: which And that, honestly, is still the more interesting thing to me, is how does someone who is at Tennessee, Southern Cal, and the Raiders, if he ends up back at a Tiffany position, like where and how and what circumstance? But that's another conversation. Um, I think the market for Kiffin – in Kiffin's mind, is going to be better than Fresno State. Also, um, and kind of getting back to the, what I was starting with here, uh, Fresno is the, the, the Fresno culture, the Fresno media, people who have sources at Fresno specifically are saying, hey, this thing is is much of a slam dunk. Uh, this is a one-coach race and that um, Jeff Tedford, the old Cal head coach, because he is connected specifically to um, – the athletic director, Jim Barko, who was at – he was at Oregon when Tedford was there as an assistant, and then he was at Cal for a minute when Tedford was the coach there. They're connected. Uh, yeah. By the way, Tedford right now is an offensive analyst for Washington, which is he's like one of those guys who kind of coaches but doesn't actually coach on the field, but he is involved, so he kind of has a job right now. Um, that's another story for another time, those analysts. Yeah. That's a fascinating culture. Um yeah. So people ask me, well, where do, where do these lists come from? Okay, so right off the top of the, if you just listen, Kiffin obviously is a, is a logical connection. Now, whether or not there's any interest whatsoever from from Bartko or anyone at Fresno State, we don't know that. But his name's going to get floated automatically because of um, speculation, because of assumption. A lot of people, these lists, we don't actually know what these what these people are interested in unless we do so unless you have spoken to fresno state's ad unless you have spoken to either lane keffin or someone that he's associated with uh, same goes for for jeff tedford we make a lot of assumptions sometime in fact bill i i am i am 90 percent sure i'm not gonna ask you to do this but i tell you what if some listener wants to i don't know we'll send him a podcast that ain't played nobody hat that doesn't exist i don't know i don't know what we'll do if you dig through this show, I am ninety percent sure, Bill, especially in the off season, that I brought this up because it makes sense. Yeah. I'm I'm ninety percent sure and if you I'm can remember sure, yeah. yeah, we sat and talked about Fresno State, maybe when you were previewing Fresno State, and I said, Yeah, you know, Lane Kiffin, he's an alumni there and, and he's not gonna be at Alabama much longer. And right. now we know that, that – I can tell you now that Lane Kiffin is not going to be at Alabama next year. I think this is the year that he makes the jump. Um, so I said that, but that's just media making connections. That's where 90% of these lists come from. Uh, the other parts are you talk to agents. Agents are always going to put out more information that, are, that this probably would be good if it was verified. So the whole reason for this idea was – and I think you were in the Slack room at work on Sunday – I contacted an agent, and I and the guy I contacted the agent about was is currently um, he's I can I'm not even getting any kind of specific he's he is coaching right now is all I'll say he makes great sense for this job um, it may not be the job he wants he may have other offers he may not I said is your I said is your is your guy or is his coach X is he would he be interested in Fresno I, I said would he be interested in Fresno and he said yeah absolutely are you going to put that out there. And I kinda caught myself for a moment, Bill, because that's that's kinda how all this stuff starts. That's kinda how the problem starts, is that I could have contacted five other agents on Sunday. And newsflash, unless it's preposterous, like unless I you know, if you call Jimmy Sexton and ask if Saban's interested in Fresno State You look like a jackass, right? But if you can make enough educated guesses and if there are coaches of a certain tier, especially ones that are aggressive to maybe either get that first head coaching job or get a bigger head coaching job or whatever, yeah, all their agents are going to say they're interested. And even if if the coach or his wife or whatever, they don't want to go to Fresno, California. Maybe they're not even from there. Maybe it's just a bad fit or maybe they think they're going to get promoted. They don't know. Of course they're going to say yes. They're going to say yes because it increases your market value. If Bill and I get a phone call tomorrow from some rival company, we're going to tell our bosses, hey, so-and-so is interested in us. That's that's free market economics. That factors into when you see names floating around on the Internet. Um, It's it's a combination of a lot of factors. So right now, here's what I would recommend. Let's say you're – I don't know. How many Fresno State fans do you think we got listening? Four. Okay. If you're one of those four. Let's get real specific for a second.
1: Oh, oh, actually, hold on. I have market data pulled up. Cause I, I was playing with that this morning just for fun.
0: I hope you're let's joking.
1: Uh, well, no, I was looking at our stats. And let's see. So Fresno. We, in the Fresno-Visalia area in the last month, we have had 13 listens. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. So, oh, you know, divided by, by are... X, divided by X number of episodes, that's basically like two. So we'll say two. Half
0: of those are probably USC fans. Um, f- trust your sourcing right now. Trust your sourcing. Don't just – if you see a tweet come up, and I'm going to, we're going to transition to one last thing, and then and then we're going to talk about games and questions. We have a lot of reader mail. If you're Fresno State, or better yet, here's a little bit more of an appealing topic. If you're Houston right now, you're a Houston fan, okay? And you see Tom Herman's name pop up on Twitter, and whether or not the guy has a blue check next to it or not, and they say, Herman deal all but done, Herman headed to Mars, wherever. I don't, I don't know. I don't give a shit and you've never, ever heard of this guy, but you've been a Houston fan, and you go to the Houston games, and you read the Houston media, and I think Joseph Duarte is their their beat writer, and I know Sam Connery, SVN, has done a lot of Houston. And you don't know their names. Don't believe it. Don't retweet it. Don't freak out, regardless of the affiliation. You have to learn to trust and curate your own content. And I don't really feel like I need to preach at our audience so much because, you know... We say we're going to talk in depth about the dynamics at Fresno State, and people are like, "Hell yeah!" When are you guys going to do that at Texas State and North Dakota? And like, you're you're pretty far down the rabbit hole if you tune into our show. You're highly educated when it comes to college football information, and we love you for that. I'll stop kissing your ass in a second. Uh, thanks for listening. But by and large, Twitter allows. It's kind of specifically Twitter because it used to be team message boards. They allow this kind of stuff to prosper. And so I, going back to the, the, the conceit of this, which is that I keep getting asked questions like, how, how do these lists happen? Like, How do you guys – do you just know Like, if, if Gus Malzahn gets fired tomorrow, do you have like four names that you could give me right now? Um, the correct answer is I don't cover Auburn, but if Gus Malzahn gets fired tomorrow – I'll just leave it at this – if Gus Malzahn gets fired tomorrow – and my buddy Brandon Marcello, who's covered Auburn for years, if he says, these, uh, look out for these three or four names, he's called them from various sources on the Auburn side, on the coaching side. He's connected. You should trust that. That makes sense. When names are being thrown against the wall on social media and there's no obvious connection, it's okay to write that, write, write that off completely. Write that off totally. Now, in Tom Herman's case right now, a lot of it's fan fiction. A lot of it is Texas fans wishing and hoping at the moment or, or just wanting to feel better about losing to Kansas State. In this instance, don't project. Don't, don't put your feelings out there when it comes to a coaching search. I could ramble
1: about this, Bill. I feel like I am rambling. By the way, uh, for the month, two people from Cheyenne, Wyoming have listened to our oh, show. Oh, well,
0: I tell you, what, I know why. that.
1: Okay, let me tell you, I know I'm holding it down for Powder River. Well, we need to hold it down a little better because we got a game three, this week. We've had three listens from the Quincy, Illinois, Hannibal, Missouri, Keokuk, Iowa um, triangle. No, I don't care about so those people. We need, we need Wyoming to to pick up its game a little bit.
0: Where who? Where's our Brett? Like, where's our hardcore audience?
1: I, I just posted this on, on Twitter. Most of this is clearly associated with market size, but uh, the top five were Atlanta, D.C., New York, Houston, and DFW. Six is Chicago. Seven is Detroit, which huh? uh, Ann Arbor, and maybe that's including Ypsilanti as well. We don't really yeah, talk Arbor. about Michigan on this show too much. Uh, well, I mean, we're, we're not going to have a choice here in a little bit. but um, Then eight is the Bay Area. Nine is Nashville. Uh, which makes makes sense, and of course, since this is college football, ten is Birmingham. Um, we got let's see, Memphis fourteen, Jackson fifteen, Jackson Mississippi,
0: Jackson Mississippi. That's all. I mean, like no joke, Memphis and Jackson. That's I can't shake my old Miss faithful and people from <laughs> Miss, Mississippi State who hate me.
1: Uh, a lot. Uh, let's see, a lot of Florida, South Carolina, in there in the twenties. Say St-, St. Louis. I'm bringing nothing to the table. Apparently, St. Louis is at twenty-seven. Kansas City's at 32, and, and well, you know Columbia, the cards aren't playing right now. And Col- Columbia, Jeff City's number 68. So I, I've got I'm bringing nothing to the table whatsoever here. Every your game you're of nerd. <laughs> let's see: uh, Harrisburg, Lancaster, Lebanon, York, Pennsylvania comes in at 46. Nice, nice. That, uh, that, got,
0: that, that's where I summer. Um, <laughs> let's jump into questions, just because I got a tweet as we were recording this um, from at a. And Gregory. P A P N question mark man. When we do these on Thursdays, people get people get like crack attic itchy. Okay, you boys out here reporting and doing stuff for for things that you're going to read later. Okay,
1: yeah, this is all his fault, by the way. We're recording early oh, on a gosh. Thursday. It's not my fault we're going early, and it's not my fault we're going Thursday.
0: and Gregory it. says army grad with a wake spouse. <laughs> How heavily should I bet on the cadets <laughs> to pull out the household bowl win? Ah, that's the most on-brand shit I've ever read about our podcast. Um, ah, how heavily? Now, is this a fun is this a fun well, spouse bet? Is this money bet, or, is or is this, this a spouse
1: bet? Yeah, is this a money or a spouse bet? That would be my first question. Um,
0: well, actually, he just tweeted it, so i tell you what. Vamp for a second, Bill. Tell me about the Army Wake game while I ask this guy.
1: <laughs> uh, let's see. My s and numbers say that... Uh, it says wake Forest 27 army 22 which means army covers but wake wins straight up so I don't know if that actually helps or not um, depends on it's, you know spouse bets don't usually uh, depend on the spread that is usually a, uh, a a straight up thing and this is basically kind of sounding like a 50-50 game uh, overall so uh, good luck with that uh, I don't really know i <clears throat> I'm, i it, Army, I will say, since I'm still having a vamp, apparently, since he's interacting on Twitter, um, Army's been volatile as hell this year. Yeah, yeah. Army leads you to trusting them and then goes, oh, no, that's okay. We're going to lose to North Texas. By the way, when I posted, North Texas fans are getting a little cocky now. I posted the rankings on Sunday and somebody goes, how are we 19 spots below Army? Because uh, we beat them the other day. It's like, because you've otherwise kind of stunk. You shut your Uh, mouth, Denton. Uh, An Army you has listen it, to the, You
0: just listen to the easy sounds of alumni Nora Jones. I've been to Denton. <laughs> I've been drunk in Denton several times.
1: But, yeah, they smoke Temple. They ha- they manhandle Rice and UTEP, and then they blow a lead and lose to Buffalo. Um, they uh, ha- they play very well against Duke, and then they lose to North Texas.
0: Yeah, their stats are is that when they win the game, um, they don't turn the ball over. And when they lose the game, their turnover ratio, I think, is like it's either negative three or negative four now. Yeah. I don't know if they've had – they may not have had a turnover at all in any win this year, or if they did, they ended up being plus in the game. And against North Texas, they just turned the ball over. I mean, it's that simple.
1: I do love, by the way, though, the, they have figured things out a little bit on, on defense just in terms of um, they have a personality now. They're super aggressive. They, I guess um, Monkham, I guess, maybe just feels like he has the – Personnel to get a little more aggressive, but that's been a big part of their turnaround. They're still inconsistent as hell, obviously, but they're four and three. Army's four and three, and they've got Air Force left on the schedule, and they're projected to win that one. Um, They've got, uh, they're actually right now. It's, it's almost exactly 50-50 for Army versus Navy. So they've got a chance to, to get to 6-7 wins. Well, I think
0: A.N. Gregory is actually Andrew Gregory who emails us thoughtful questions all the time. I think this is our guy down at Fort Hood. Um, Andrew, if you're, well, if you're listening, this is hours later, but we're going to find out whether or not Andrew's paying attention to his Twitter. Um, okay, let's do, let's do more questions before we do games. How about that? Okay. Um, I've got one. Okay. Okay. Uh, um, Oh, wait. Actually, the one I just pulled up is nothing but a compliment to us.
1: You you, you
0: want to roll with that? Uh, (laughs) Hell yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's... There really isn't... I mean, thank you, by the way. This is Nick from Michigan State. He says he's a Michigan... I guess he's a Michigan State grad this year. Thank you for a really lovely email, but there's no question in here, and I don't want to... I mean, maybe if we have a bad episode, I'll just pull this email back up because it is just
1: five paragraphs of flattery. Oh, man. Actually, here's a question from uh, an Andrew Gregory. Um, who, who oh, yeah, Richman and Terrell Hazel. What a great <laughs> subject line for an email. <laughs> um, watching Tom, Billy Godfrey, watching Tom Herman and Houston's fortunes drop off a little bit with losses, it makes me wonder about what you both pointed out about Hazel's mannequin Big 12 resume, quote-unquote. Uh, Herman will get a huge job, but let's review. He's a talented OSU assistant who made a big splash in the G5 after two seasons. We don't know how he'll recruit over the long term. We don't know how or if he'll sustain success in the G5. Uh, clearly what he's done at Houston is better than what Hazel accomplished at, Kentucky, uh, at Kent State, but is it much different? Herman landed at a bigger stage in recruiting hotbeds than Kent State, but that's it. If you're Texas or LSU, don't you want someone with more proven success over time in an HC spot? Purdue thought that we had to snatch up Hazel before someone else took him. They <coughs> did? Apparently. I I mean, I I have no reason not to believe that Uh, Texas slash LSU boosters are thinking the same thing about Herman as a Purdue fan. I'm much more in the camp of hiring an HC with more than four years experience, even if it's a retread like Miles or Pellini than a talented and a talented assistant or less experienced HC. Is this a similar bubble with Herman? Um, This is actually that's a very, very good point. It was something that I, you know, I was talking about in the Houston preview this last off season uh, in that. You know, he basically every t- everything he touched was gold last year. And, and while they were lucky as hell, just like Kent State was that year that Kent State was good, um, they were also much, much better than Kent State. Now he inherited more talent. Um, and I mean yes, it is a more talent laden region. Um, obviously the recruiting ceiling at Houston is higher. So of course he did better, uh, or of course he put a better product on the field than Hazel did, but it's actually a pretty good point. We don't actually know anything whatsoever about Tom Herman's program building ability. Uh, He has recruited so well at Houston or well enough at Houston that it makes you kind of assume that if he goes to Texas or LSU, he's he's signing nothing but top 10 classes because most, most coaches would sign top 10 classes at those schools, maybe top 15. Um, but we don't know anything about program maintenance and one of the po- points i remember making in my preview was just that let, let's say the luck turned let's say that houston is is definably better this year and i think they're at least a little better in the rankings currently or yeah there there are a few spots better in the rankings but they haven't gotten all the the, the close bounces. they're all the close game bounces they um you know they've lost a couple games i think my point was basically what if they're they're better but they only go like nine and three this year what happens to his stock in that instance and i don't really so far the the answer is absolutely nothing happens to his stock it's it's raw it's uh its ceiling is very high already but it is kind of an interesting thought what if they lose another game down the stretch here and what if they um lose a you know what if they, they well they miss out on the aac title game they finish nine and three or eight and four um you know that should give people pause because we don't know anything about his program building ability. And and we know now that if he doesn't, if his team doesn't get lucky, then it's not winning uh, 11 games in the regular season. So um, I, he's so dynamic and he's such a good interviewer. And um, you know, he, he, he seems to press every right button that I assume his stock won't sink very much, but it's a fair point there's a lot, we don't know about uh, uh, Tom Herman at this point.
0: No, um, not, I, I'll move on only because we've hit Herman pretty hard. Um, Wilson Orr asks Now that Chip Kelly is, the Chip Kelly era is clearly in the rearview mirror, what are realistic expectations for Oregon as a football team? By the way, I'm going to tell you right up front I don't know, I'm, I'm going to, I'll vamp at the end of this question, but I, I picked this question because I'm genuinely curious myself. Uh, Wilson goes on. Clearly, this depends on a bit of uh, depends a bit on what happens with Mark Helfrich. I personally hope we move on. He seems like a good guy, but he it is really hard to get over being outscored by the state of Washington, 121 to 54. Damn. Um, with the visibility that recent success has given the program, as well as the money poured into it by Phil Knight. Eight to ten wins a year should be the expectation. Is that realistic, or am I underestimating how hard it is to win at a school in Eugene, Oregon, uh, reasonably away from fertile recruiting grounds? There's that question we get every week, Bill. To go along with this, where would you see Oregon in terms of getting a new coach? If Helfrich were to be fired, clearly we're a, a tier or two below the Tom Herman sweepstakes, but would someone like P.J. Fleck or Willie Taggart be in the realm of possibility? If not, who are some realistic candidates? Uh... Love the podcast. Go Ducks, Wilson. Ah, Bill. So <laughs> going back to like the like some of the coaches who ran Veers and like what Switzer was doing, like that was an era where a system defined an entire school's identity. Mm-hmm. And by and large, we get away from that in the modern era, right? Nick Saban's running
1: zone sweep jet. Tempo, you name it, right? I, I mean, I guess, but I, you know, there are still schools with really strong identities, and when they play to that, but Michigan, there, for example, or right. well, Oregon. I mean, Oregon went to the national title game two but years what, ago. What I'm saying is, is, there one
0: more defined than Oregon. I have a tough time thinking of a school that's more defined by
1: Baylor was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> might still be. I would say that they, uh, they in in, ter- in terms of pure identity, they may have surpassed Oregon. The funny thing about Oregon, like when you talk about a Baylor or even a Michigan, is they are in the Pacific
0: Northwest. They are very far away from traditional recruiting grounds. They have this insane amount of money. They built equity in strange things like marketing and merchandise and uniforms, changes. Um, Oregon vexes me right now. Not that so, Hilfurch is having a bad year, but but I don't know how to instantly plug in and say, well, they're going to do this next,
1: because we don't have contacts for that. So my my thought it with Oregon, let's, you know, first of all, I, I think in terms of, like, top 10, 20, 30, I can't really, like, win totals are, you know, that depends on bounces. So I don't really focus on that as much. But at Oregon, A, you got money, and you can absolutely pay a lot of money to, a, 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 it, well, what would in theory then be a very good coach. And B, you've got the ability to at least sign top 30 recruiting classes. Um, I mean, especially now that you, I mean you still you've had the visibility you can recruit California and Texas reasonably well. Not top 10 classes, but top 30 classes. And if you want to further your, your quote unquote brand identity at the moment with the, with the offense and everything, you can do that, and you'll always sign uh, good skill position guys. So just thinking of it in those terms, recruiting at the top 30 level and hiring a, a, an expensive coach, that would suggest that you should be able to produce in the top 20 most years. Uh, top five is probably too much, but if you're in the top 20 every year or even top 15, then when you have the right mix of experience or a quarterback who's a little better than normal, uh, then you're absolutely, you know, you're right there when in terms of winning the Pac-12 and, and finishing in the top 10. I don't think that's unreasonable at all. Um... And, and what's funny is it's still defense. Like, even, even with, like, you know, having some uh, relative issues with, with Prukop, even with moving to a freshman quarterback themselves, they're seventh in offensive F- s Plus right now. Last year we complained about their offense and, and blah, 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 and Vernon Adams got uh, hurt half the year and they were ninth. Offense is not the problem. There's they still have that identity. They still have that defense. The problem is that last year the offense fell, or the defense fell to 82nd. Um, basically, in Aliotti's last year or second to last year, they were in the top 30, and then they they've kind of established residency around like you know 40 to 60, and they went to the national title game with that. So that can clearly work. Last year they fell to 82nd. This year right now they're 114th um and they're super young they've they've kind of moved to a new generation of defenders and so they they will improve but how much can you improve when you're at 114th like what what's that's the issue that he has to solve and i I, i'm again like we've said before we have no idea what organ's like patience level is what what their general approach is and general for things like that i have no idea um but i that's that's the issue. The offense is still fine. It's not as good as it was with Mariota, but again, he was, he was above the norm. Um, and I, I really like what I've seen from Herbert. I think their offense is going to be just fine. Their defense is terrible. It got worse. I, you know, I, I was actually, I got made fun of last night by somebody on Twitter, uh, bringing up my Oregon preview from the summer. It was basically, you know, the offense is still going to be good. All they had to do is get back to the top 50 in defense to be a PAC 12 contender. So why aren't we talking about that more? Um, Technically, that was a true statement, but they've, they've gone the opposite way. They hired Brady Oak, and it's gotten worse. Uh, and so that's – if you don't think he can solve the defensive issue, um, which, is, which is both recruiting and coaching, uh, then, I mean, maybe maybe it is time to make a move. But, you know, it, this isn't a full-scale program collapse or anything. It's, it's just fixing one side of the ball.
0: I don't know, man. If they make a coaching change. It's going to be fascinating to watch how they do it, where they look, who they talk to. I think it may not be the most reported about coaching change that happens this year, especially if Texas goes, if USC goes, if you know LSU doesn't keep Ed Ogeron. But they just by don't. the way,
1: by the way, they're number fifty-one overall in S and right now. Um, number sixty, Scott Frost's UCF. It's a little early. It was very early, and they're doing uh, – uh, they've done that with defense. They're 30th in defense. They're only 96th in offense, and so that's not – you know that's not Scott Frost who's running the defense, and, and he inherited good personnel. So Scott it's an Frost, unfair comparison, but yes. I still find it funny.
0: Yeah, no, I mean – okay, going back to what we talked about earlier, assumptions and, and things that make sense and building that into conjecture online – Scott Frost left Oregon to start a head coaching career, not to return back to Eugene, but everyone assumes very strongly based on conversations to one day go to Nebraska. Yeah. Now, wouldn't it be funny, how's this for transition, Bill? Wouldn't it be funny if the man who takes a Nebraska job is actually one badass Craig Bowl because he has got Wyoming going? That was my transition in talking about games. I'm going to lead with Wyoming. We're going to lead with Wyoming, I see. Yeah, because they're playing boys. I don't give no, yeah, yes. It's on CBS Sports Network, so I can't see it. Shit, but Boise and Wyoming are playing for the fate of the, of the Mountain West.
1: They are up to 84. And by the way, speaking of offense and defense, um, they're up to, up to 84. They're 5-2. and two. Their strength this year has been offense. Their defense still is relatively bad, um, much better than it was. But, again, uh, that's not quite what we expected from Craig Boll at Wyoming. I think,
0: I think I have to go to a wedding during that time again. I don't know. Or I've got some sort of obligation. You guys to have too it. many friends, by the way. Uh, no, 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 no. Not you guys. There's no collective here. <laughs> hey, it's,
1: it's a collective. You. Miss and throw,
0: no, misanthrope throat married a sorority girl. That's a conversation for another podcast. <laughs> I'd be, oh, man. I'd be in a windowless basement apartment happy you, as a claim.
1: You guys share the same last name. It all counts. Oh, God. Um.
0: Well, it doesn't matter if I'm in public or not, because I I can't get the freaking CBS Sports Network. Um, God, I hate that. CBS, you are awful. You are neo-Luddite. Yeah, Wyoming's going to play Boise State. It's going to be actually really cool to watch, and um, their offense is good this year. They're competent on defense, and... I didn't think I'd say this at the start of the season, but they may be the last thing that stands in the way of Boise and uh, that at-large bid. As we I, I just want to check again this week. I'm going to ask you every episode, okay? San Diego State's still really good, by the way. Oh, yeah. That's right. I'm sorry. I slept on that. I'm going to ask you every week, okay? West, this week, what's your, what's your pick for the, um, for the G5 team that makes the partner bowl, Western Michigan or Boise State?
1: It's still Boise. Uh, I think Boise has to lose. I think they are ahead in line, and they'll have to lose.
0: All right, let's get to the real thing
1: yep uh, I don't have a theme this week. Maybe I'll come up
0: with one at the end. um early games, not good well, I think the te-
1: theme is is kind of it's well, it's probably too early to go full elimination Saturday kind of thing, but Clemson only has a sixty eight percent chance of beating Florida State. Baylor has a seventy two percent chance of beating Texas. West Virginia has a 56% chance of beating Oklahoma state and Nebraska has a 32% chance of beating Wisconsin. Those are all my S and P numbers. Uh, so we've got seven undefeateds left, seven power conference undefeateds. At least one is losing. Maybe two or three of them are losing. Um, mm. so I think that's, that's kind of, that's the theme for me this week because we're, we're talking about seven teams here and all that. um, and we, we've reached the point where people are starting to, like, what 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 if there are five undefeateds and, you know, all, all of those scenarios. So for yesterday's uh, projections piece at SB Nation, I, I basically started, I, one of the things I did was I just simulated a, a, the rest of the games a ton of times and basically uh, came up with with this. So right now there's about heading into championship weekend, this does not include title games. I don't have that, the math for that set up yet. Um heading into championship weekend, there's about a 25% chance that we're looking at two undefeated teams and about two to four, one loss teams. That's basically the scenario we had in, in, um, yeah, that's it. That's pretty much exactly what we had last year. And the year before we had one undefeated team and five, one loss teams. So that's a, we're, we're kind of looking at that pool again, but there's also about a 21% chance that we've got zero to one undefeated teams and only maybe three, four, One loss teams, three to six, one loss teams overall, which opens up the possibility of a two loss Wisconsin or a two loss LSU or somebody like that threatening to win the conference title and therefore threatening to, well, we would have to engage in that conversation. You know, one loss, good team versus two loss, really good team, et cetera. Um, there's a 20% chance that this is all very clean, and we've got two, uh, two or three undefeated teams and four plus one loss teams, and and that that gets pretty easy to kind of determine. But uh, yeah, lots of different scenarios on the table, and but mm-hmm. few of them have to do with more than two undefeated teams. So um, that's this week's not good.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I'm always the guy who's trying to rally around. I mean, this is
1: oh, I guarantee you some
0: weird stuff's going to happen this week because if that inverse correlation still holds. I, this watchability is extremely low. But Thursday night is spectacular. Thursday night and Friday night are kind of where it's at. If I handed you Cal USC, App State Georgia Southern, VTech Pittsburgh, Navy South Florida, and eh, say oh, San Diego State, Utah State, and said
1: skip Saturday, <laughs> it would still I not be terrible. a great trade for you, but it would be pretty close. Yeah, that's I'm kind of annoyed because one of the games I'm most interested in is um, or two of the games I'm most interested in are both while Missouri is hosting Kentucky, uh, West Virginia, Oklahoma State and Michigan, Michigan State, uh, Michigan, Michigan State. Part of that is a morbid curiosity, but part of it is also, you know, like, well, we don't know because nothing about Michigan State this year makes sense from what we've learned in the past, but it's kind of an assumption that Michigan State's going to put together its best performance or, or one of its best performances. But well, what the hell does that mean? Like, is, is Michigan even touchable by Michigan State at this point? I assume so. And I, I pointed out in my numerical, uh, my numbers currently give Michigan a freaking 98% chance of, of winning at Michigan State, which is insane. Well,
0: it's about time that Michigan was competent enough to overcome their true rival.
1: But it was like 99.8% uh, of beating Michigan State when they were back to punt at the end of last year. So Michigan State has them right where they want them. Yeah, watch um, out for them special teams. That's right. But, yeah, um, that's – that's uh, I just – I want to see what a, I, what a really good Michigan State performance means at this point because I really don't know. I just – this is hard. This is
0: – I haven't paid a ton of attention to this weekend because I'm between two larger assignments at the moment, and I won't be locked in on Saturday, which means the Sunday recap show will be even me more leaning on you than usual. <laughs> uh, at this point, I'm a glorified host. Uh, this isn't good, Bill. I'm not there's a morbid a lot of casual, like like. By the way, we got yelled at by one of our listeners uh, last week. I said there's no indie rock games at Memphis Navy. That was pretty funny. Um, I don't <laughs> see a lot of indie rock
1: here either, though. There is a morbid fascination with the two thirty games, though. You got Florida, Georgia, Baylor, Texas, and Miami, Notre Dame. Yeah, but so, is this the,
0: isn't this the? Well, no, it's not the least interesting
1: cocktail it's party. It's television, but it could be interesting.
0: What? Where we failed as a papn brand is talking about Washington and Utah more this week because this is going to be the first time a lot of people in the country notice Washington. I know there was the Friday night ESPN game. Yeah, I would say that
1: Stanford was a pretty big statement to make
0: But the household, but the overall households on a Friday night, it's it's dramatically, there's a huge drop-off. What I'm saying is this is the flip-around game for college football fans that are locked into the Big Ten, the SEC. Um, It's as much a showcase as FS1 can mount. And I assume... Probably correctly, that Florida, Georgia is going to be just assy unwatchable at a certain point. So, I mean, the games that I'm tuning into in the world in which I probably am not being bothered by real world things uh, Baylor, Texas, for reasons we've stated. I tell you what, here's, uh, it, I don't know, is it sleepy, but like this West Virginia business is, is intriguing, right? Mm-hmm. Oklahoma yeah. State. Uh, I'm to say it's
1: still fun. I mean, they're they're not as good as they were a few years ago, but they're still a fun team, and they create fun games.
0: I mean, Nebraska, Wisconsin settles. You know, could could very well settle the entire West, and yet, you know, it has the level of intrigue and excitement that you would expect
1: from a deciding game in the Big Ten West. Um, well, Auburn, a- I'm really, really curious about Auburn, Ole Miss, because uh, I mean, number one, Auburn. Now, Auburn really has looked good for like a month now. Uh, and they really weren't even bad at the beginning of the year. We just made fun of them uh, for the quarterback situation. But Ole Miss is still volatile as hell. You just assume Ole Miss is going up 14 nothing now, and then you start there, 10 or 14. Um, but this is a, like they are very talented. Auburn's not going to be able to simply probably run a jet sweep for 80 yards for a touchdown at the beginning of the game this time. But you know, that's a game Auburn should win if they're a top-10 caliber Maybe. team, but Ole Miss is still solid. And that's really, I mean, like, like you know, this idea I think Kevin it, Steele is good. It's just, I just, I don't know. Well, I, I well, yeah, I mean, he's got uh, some lovely uh, defensive line talent to work with there. But, but this is a game that really could, like, I, I the the whole Iron Bowl deciding the SEC West thing is still on the table. I realize A and M and LSU. Oh, are still kill me! I realize uh, LSU and A and M are still involved, and there are plenty of storylines there. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking, like. They look awesome, and they've looked awesome for a while. They could run the table and be nine and two. And um, if LSU and A and M have also lost, then there you go.
0: You know it's a bad week when Stanford and Arizona is the is uh. the Pac twelve after dark game. You like you are not gonna stay up for that.
1: No, you're this would this might have that might have been a good slot for Washington and Utah actually, but um,
0: no, the, the Pac twelve would have died if their marquee game was at ten p.m. Eastern. I mean, they've been fighting <laughs> for so long to avoid that kind of problem. Um, Tell me about
1: Clemson and Florida State. Get me excited. Uh, well, I just had a piece go up today. I mean, Florida State has played a, a boatload of really good teams so far this year, good to really good teams. And uh, they got absolutely plastered by one of them. But otherwise, they've been a perfectly solid top 15 caliber team overall. Um, and we've forgotten about them because they've lost twice, and that's what we do to teams that lose twice. But they're, they're still good. Uh, if they can... Protect Francois, uh, which is a big if. Although you know Miami had a heck of a pass rush and and they hit him a ton, but he was still able to get passes off. Like if they're able to sort of protect Francois to where he can actually throw the ball, then they could keep up. I mean, it, it's funny talking about Clemson right now because one of the things you'll you'll inevitably uncover is that you know Deshaun Watson's only averaging about nine carries a game, but we know by now the system like based on last year too, like. They only want to run him into the ground a few times a year, and they're going to play that card Saturday night. He's going to run 15, 20 times. Um, and if he's getting, you know, five yards on third and four constantly, then eventually FSU is going to wear down. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the last time we saw Clemson, they were all but losing to NC State. So, um I mean, this is absolutely – I think – I mean, I was actually a little surprised my numbers had them at 68% to win. I was figuring it would be closer to sixty forty. But But um, this this is a game that they've got to show up in, and, and they haven't shown up for every game this year. So that's – I realize talking about the negatives or, you know, you better show up is not a, a great selling point. But this is not a – by any stretch of the imagination, a certainty. No. Um, by the way, do we throw in Tuesday's games because we won't –
0: do a preview until next Wednesday Thursday how does that work uh, there's Tuesday games next week right. is what I'm saying it's
1: November it's, it's November mac baby by the way it's also but man you gotta feel bad
0: for the Mac it's uh, this is the same day as the uh, playoff reveal so the oh Rangers is, it, is it,
1: to... oh yeah that's right it's coming up Ranger I ignore that so
0: thoroughly that I forget but yeah, yeah during these games basically one game, uh, Bowling Green Northern Illinois is on ESPN. U Western Michigan Ball State's on ESPN. Two. I think it's because the flagship has the playoff reveal. Yeah, that, that you makes get short shrift
1: by the network
0: who well, asks you to lose
1: these games. Actually, I don't know if they ever do an ESPN action. Do they? That's pretty rare. It's usually ESPN two or U. Well, I mean, they should. Well, by the way, when, well, they uh, should. Yes.
0: Wednesday night is Toledo at Akron. So, um, every year I want to go up and do a road trip. From like a, starting on a Tuesday, ending on a Saturday of Hell yeah.
1: American match, and every year I'm focused on something a little more big, bigger. Yeah, you could easily do Western Michigan Ball State on Tuesday, then Toledo Akron on Thursday, Buffalo Dude, Ohio on Indian. Thursday, Central Michigan Miami on Friday. You wouldn't even have to like once you leave once you leave Indiana on on Tuesday or Wednesday morning, you're in Ohio the rest of the week. That's a, phenomenal. oh they've got their they've
0: got their own um outdoor classic they've got uh next wednesday november 9th northern illinois and toledo are playing at the white Sox stadium oh nice that's something i don't know if it's nice sure um man this is not a this is a
1: tough week to vamp on games bill we're a little light right now um oh do you have a box score for me I do. Uh, And it was almost too obvious when they played this game. It was like they were playing it for the sole purpose of getting into box score bingo. And I kind of feel I I feel like I, uh, you know, bad for even acknowledging them because I think they were trying too hard. I wrote about this a little bit on Tuesday. We actually talked about it a little bit on Sunday. Boise State BYU is as crazy as as you could possibly ask a game to be just in terms of you know, wild last second action and, and return touchdowns and, and <laughs> hilariously t- bad fake punts and, and everything else. Um, but I did write about it in the numerical, and, and I'll touch on it here. Boise State uh, benefited from the worst fake punt of all time and mm-hmm. outgained uh, BYU by 249 yards and had to block a field goal late in the game and then survive a Hail Mary. Uh, exactly to what men. you would expect. right. Um, like yards per play 7.7 to four. Like that's a game. You're probably going to win about 99% of the time. And, and uh, you know, if you look at the advanced box score that I, I produced, it says Boise state win expectancy 99%. So basically what it required was that BYU have drastic turnovers luck, Um, and it, well, and some other stuff. And they almost got that, but this was uh, a really interesting study. And in how the hell does BYU keep this game close? They, uh, they, uh, Well, the yardage thing was ridiculous, but then also like points per score and opportunity, 4.7 for Boise, which is decent, 2.2 for BYU. BYU blew a bunch of chances and got outgained by 200 yards and almost won. Um, part of it was turnovers. They were plus five in turnovers. Not only were there plus five in turnovers, but they returned two of them for touchdowns in the second quarter. Uh, it was, I Part of the numerical the other day was like, uh, at this point, BYU had the lead 17 14 and had been outgained like, I don't know, like 280 to 50 or 280 to 90 or something like that. Um, and that basically bought them some time, but this was a really, really weird game. Tell me what you noticed from the box score. Okay, from the original box score, and also I've.
0: I've... I poisoned the water here for myself because I watched uh, half of this game.
1: Right. But normally I like to – Don't 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 actually watch the sport. You're supposed to just look at the spreadsheets.
0: Well, I mean, seriously. Like, normally when we do this, you've been picking games that I haven't – I've either overlooked or only saw, you know, a drive or a play or something like that. Um, The first thing I'm going to notice is that um, after the disparity in traditional stats, like yardage, I'm looking at the turnovers. That's the first thing I'm noticing.
1: And yeah, they, I mean, in terms
0: of because uh, when you if you go if you go just just like on the traditional box score that up on the Boise State site, okay, they had more first downs and rushings about even. Um, I'm going to notice the passing disparity because it's substantial, four forty two to one eighty seven. Then I'm going to see that there were two interceptions thrown by Boise. Uh, based on the passing yardage, it doesn't surprise me that Boise had eleven point three a clip and. BYU had four and a half (laughs) total offensive yards. Reinforces what I already know. Um, This is just me scrolling down. Um, uh, Special teams, it looks normal. Um, Normal, normal. Fumbles lost. Interception, I mean, interception returns. Two. (laughs) BYU has two interception returns for 109 yards and two touchdowns.
1: Yeah, the funny part about that, too, um, you'll notice on the advanced box score, their, their turnovers look was dr- dramatic because, basically, they defensed, intercepted or broke up. They defensed four passes, BYU did. Two of those were picks. B- uh, Boise State, meanwhile, defensed five passes, and none of them were picks. So, really, that should have been, like, one-to-one, uh, and it was very much not. I mean, really, Bill, when, this is, when I look at – before I even get into your
0: box score, if I do, when I look at the traditional box score and I see the final score – And I see that, and I scroll down. This is one that can be explained in a single stat line, and that's it's two interception yards, two interceptions for 109 yards, and two touchdowns. That's the difference in the game.
1: And when it happened, uh, too, I mean, it required uh, Boise to, well, um, yeah, and and Boise had already missed two field goals by that point as well. Um, So that was another uh, another piece of the puzzle. But it took a lot. It basically it took the turnovers and some blown chances by Boise as well. To, to have, uh, you know, to give BYU any hope in this game. Um, like I said, this one was almost too obvious, and I apologize. I I, I feel like I should have dug deeper
0: in this one. Uh, and then I dig, look, I and honestly, not not to make it overly simple. No, look, in order for your numbers, in order for what you do to be successful and for people to latch on, sometimes it is just simple. Sometimes you can go deep, but you can also – case in point, I open up Bill's advanced box score. You can check it out on the PAPN page on SB Nation. Um, my eye goes to, because you color code some of this stuff, my eye goes to the green first and then the red, which is littered all over turnover margin. So Boise has a turnover margin of plus five, or BYU has a turnover margin of plus five. Their turnover luck in terms of how that translates to points is 14 and a half.
1: <laughs> That's the game. Yeah, they're put, based on fumbles and passes defense. Their their turnover margin should have been plus 2 and it was plus 5 and two of those went for touchdowns. So, right. Yeah, 14 and a half points is, is I
0: mean, that's it. That's the explanation for the game. But when you get further into it, you're going to see, okay, well, uh Brett Riffin looked pretty good other than the two picks, other than the two picks. On standard downs, he was he had you know seven well, almost eight yards in attempt. On passing downs, he had 15. I mean, it's yeah. All so that's according very, to normal. Boise, City. though,
1: this isn't completely new to Boise. Boise kind of did the same thing last year. They are still they are a very volatile team. Let's put let's use that word, um, in that they clearly dominate and they make bigger mistakes. They had a massive turnover game at home last year. It was one right. of the losses. Was yeah, it? I mean, Air Force. Air Force, yeah. Well, I think it was Air Force two years ago. They had a crazy turnover, like seven turnovers, and then Utah State last year they had like seven or eight, I think. I think it was so Utah they, State. They I don't know. I wrote a column of-
0: on it three weeks ago. I should remember this, but <laughs> my brain is oh.
1: gone. But no, I mean, they, they – this is part of the deal. Like playing at a very, very extreme level, they make kind of extreme mistakes sometimes too. And so not to, let, let's tie all this together in a little bow. Your Cowboys might have a chance if they can take advantage of those mistakes. I don't
0: – I think this is a good
1: – I think this is a good choice.
0: By the way, uh, shout-out to Calvin Masterson. Um, I was interrupted there because someone just asked. Calvin Masterson on Twitter just tweeted, where is PAPN? And I'm <laughs> tweeting back, your mom's house. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening. Chris Stanley also tweeted while we were in the middle of this. Can I get some confirmation that Georgia Southern at State is a legit rivalry? Dude, don't ask. Of course it is. Damn straight. You listen to this show, my God. Um, okay, Bill. Um, I like simple box score. Makes me feel smirter. Okay. Um, probably won't have a 14 point swing necessarily directly off of the, the actual turnover plays this week. You might, you never know, but um, I think it was a good choice. Um, it shows you how this really just chalks up to laziness more than anything to bring it back into my world, because some dumbass is going to look at, um, so probably, <laughs> maybe some dumbass with the, the ability to pick the playoff teams is going to look at this in a couple weeks and probably not dive any deeper than 28, 27. And probably not understand, although if you did, Bill, and you're looking at Boise State's worth as an undefeated or a playoff candidate or just a G5 spot or whatever, I don't know if you dig deeper if that necessarily betters Boise's case or not because they were all self-inflicted wounds. They were a better team in terms of yards and plays and, and consistency on offense, but they also, like, you know, in, in as close
1: to as literal sense as you can, shot they shot themselves in their foot. So... Yeah, if you got former coaches in the room saying can't make those mistakes, got got to win the turnovers, yeah. then yeah, that could be an issue. But that's true. I mean, but again, they're competing; against, they're not competing for a playoff but They're competing against Western Michigan, man, and just simply uh, beating BYU is probably good enough to bolster the resume there.
0: Uh, okay, uh, Bill, we got to get out of here, and I'm going to leave on a special. It's it's a special note. I think I should start tweeting at our listeners more often. Calvin Masterson just responded. My mother does live in Nashville. Did you deliver a vinyl <laughs> copy of podcasting play nobody? All right, Bill, I got to go. I got to go journalism. You got to go do a lot of stuff. God only knows. Um, we'll be back on Sunday, I think. Um, we will probably – I will probably be having a minor mia culpa in that ten bizarre weird things will compensate for the flabbiness of this weekend. But until then, I'm saying it's not great. Um, it's just not so overwhelmingly bad that you know the bounce back is going to happen. I'm just hoping it happens.
1: If you've got a local boo at the zoo to go to in the morning, you will not your your universe will not be rocked if you miss the early games. Oh man, Boo at the Zoo is the jam. All right, dude. We'll be back sa- uh, Sunday. Yeah,
0: that. All right. Uh, oh, by the <laughs> way, I completely. I did not. I didn't even do the show intro this week. That's great. There's no new listeners this week. Everyone, you're if you're in, you're in. You know who the hell we are. That's awesome. Uh, you can follow me at Twitter at thirty eight Godfrey. and Also on Instagram, Bill SBN underscore Bill C. Um, rate us on iTunes I I don't know why I have to keep saying that but that's what the bosses tell me to do I don't even use iTunes anymore shout out to Overcast it's pretty cool Um, but go even if you're using us on something else like Stitcher which I don't even know what that is um, go rate us on iTunes I want screen caps here's what I want I want screen caps of insanely flattering 5 star reviews on PAPN Oh, by the way, um, uh, Democracy democracy Prep Fundraiser, um, yeah. we dumped a bunch of money in their account, and we're going to be back on with a new GoFundMe next week. So Yay. we got that coming. So we'll be hitting you all up for money, and you can buy a segment on this incredibly well-produced, well-thought-out program. Uh, we'll be back Sunday. Yep.